0: Thank you guys. It's awesome. Good stuff. My mother is uh is flipping over in her grave right now <laughs> in church i hey, I don't think we we talk enough about love in church and this this that kind of love. I mean, you think it was the devil's idea? It was god's idea, love between. People uh, romantic love is God was all God's idea. God thought it from start to finish. I mean, he, he could have had a whole different way of populating the Earth and why He did it. Um, speaking of love, I, I, I'm, I'm happy to congratulate uh, uh, Steve and Chrissy over here for their engagement. So happy. I, I just heard that. just now I've been out of town. And I hadn't been on social media as much, so I just heard that you guys got engaged, and that's just awesome. When's the big day? When's the big day? Tonight? Come on up. We should do it during this series. Yeah, okay. Well, let me know. We're talking tonight about simple love. And tonight we're, to the last week, we talked about what it was. And tonight we're going to talk about why do simple love. Now we're going to read a text to you that's going to be a demonstration of simple love, and then I'm going to give you an, an, another definition. John chapter 13, verse one, Jesus is winding down his earthly ministry. So everything that Jesus does, from chapter 13 through chapter 17. Are, are are very important. And those are his priorities. He mentions his priorities. You know how you are when when uh, your spouse is leaving uh, the house or maybe leaving for work, and whatever you want them to pick up on the way home, you mention it, last thing. So they'll, hopefully they'll remember it. And These days we can text and all that, so that makes it a lot easier. But in the old days, we used to have to say it to them and, on the way out, pick up the bread, pick up the milk. So the things you say as you I, the last things you say are the things that are most important to you so we got to consider that whatever jesus is illustrating and saying in these last few chapters are the things that matter the most to him the things that are most important and so he picked he, he uh, the, the writer john writes this story about one of the last things that jesus did and one of the last things he said it was just before the passover feast jesus knew That the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the father having loved his own who were in the world he now showed them the full extent of his love now pay close attention here what he did to show them the full extent of his love that evening the evening meal was being served and the devil had already prompted Judas Iscariot son of Simon to betray Jesus Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power, that he had come from God, and that he was returning to God. Hold that thought. He knew who he was. His self-esteem was excellent. His self-worth was excellent. He knew who he was. He wasn't needing anybody's approval. He didn't need to get down and serve somebody so they would like him. He was all set in that department. So he got up from the meal took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Now this is, I, I don't know, most of you have never been in a, what we used to have foot washing services uh, back in the day. And, but I remember a time, and some of you men may have been there, at a, men's, a Bethany Men's Retreat, when in the middle of a service, uh, a guy ran out to the kitchen and got a pan of water, and he began to wash a man's feet in the room. And then another man went and sat in the chair, and another, and we, men all over that room, it was one of the most emotional experiences I've ever had. Men were weeping all over that room. There was something very emotional about washing one of another's feet. Now, I'm not suggesting we need to do that, or that the actual act of a foot washing service is important. But there, there's something about it. It's going to the lowest point of a person's body, going to the, to the lowest point of a person's need and serving them at that practical level. And, and, and in that day, it was a very practical, important service because of the dusty roads and the wore sandals. And so it was a very important function to have one's feet washed, even though, as you'll see in the text, their body was washed, but their feet were obviously not. Uh, so, uh, after that he poured the water into the washed the disciples' feet and drying them with a towel that was wrapped around let we just get on to verse 6, he came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, you do not realize now what I'm doing, but later... You will understand. No, said Peter, you will never wash my feet. Jesus answered, unless I wash your feet, you have no part with me. Then, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, a person who's had a bath needs only, wash, needs only wash his feet. His whole body is clean. And you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him. and That was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked him. He asked them, you call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now I, your Lord, teacher, have washed your feet. You should also wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I've done for you. I tell you the truth, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Simple love is when we affirm one another's value with quiet, uncomplicated, and personal sacrifices based on another person's emotional and physical needs. These messages, in this message tonight, has nothing to do with your position of service in this church. We pastors, a lot of times, will preach this text to try to get you to serve in the nursery. Do something lowly, you know, in the church. This, this, the original, when Jesus did it, it had nothing to do with where you serve in the church. It's not about your spiritual gifts. Whatever your spiritual gifts. And there's a wonderful teaching in the scripture about God having gifted you for something. Jesus did not have the spiritual gift of foot washing. There's no such thing as a spiritual gift of foot washing. This is, so this is not about your spiritual gift. This is not about your being responsible in your vocation or your career or going out and making a living and taking care of your family and doing that, that whole thing that you do. That's, that's love, all right. Just like serving the nursery can be love. Just like making your spiritual gift available to others can be love. But This is none of that. This is not your spiritual gift. It's not your title. It's none of that. Simple love is about simple acts of service, simple expressions of affection that show others how much God values them and how much you value them. These are things that, like the washing of feet, fall in the category of courtesy and good manners. If it's in the same category that you do out in public all the time, you hold the door open for people. People. People will make you go in the wrong side of the entry to hold the door open for you. I mean, the, the people are militant about that. You better go in the door they open for you. One, one wonderful thing, in the Northeast, we're, we're known, we we're, we're kind of the, have this reputation that we're not real polite up here, but this is the only place I know that where people will let you make a left turn in front of them. You've got to make icons. You've got to be careful because you might, you might get some from somebody from Missouri here. <laughs> but the local people will let you. We do these things. They're called good manners. Nobody's See, here's the thing about these acts of service and these shows of affection. Nobody's going to die if you don't do it. If you, if you don't bring home food and feed your family, people will die. But nobody's going to die if you don't do these acts of service. But if you do them, you will make people come alive inside. Let me illustrate some things from my own life. This week, I had, I had something happen this week, and I, at least probably kill me for telling you this. But I, I've been preaching for thirty years, so I'm running out of illustrations. I got to use I, I got to use everybody. <laughs> but uh, this was a big week. In, in my life, in our family's life, in Elisa's life. Because this was the first week, because I, I went out of town, so she had my car. It was the first week of her life that she had a set of car keys and a car to just walk out the door and go where she needed to go. And not a scratch on it that I had not already put on it. But here's what's more significant. When I left the car, I left a half a tank of gas. In the car. And I fully expected it to be empty when I got home. She's 16 years old, for goodness sake. You know, I got in the car and it was full. Wow. I, I, I'm serious. I, got, I'm, I mean, I, I get emotional easy and I cry easy. I, t- I, I got misty eyed. My 16 year old is that emotionally intelligent. It wasn't because I didn't. She, she knew I had the money to fill my car with gas. I didn't need. I didn't need her to do that. It was an act of kindness. It was a foot washing act. And another great illustration that I have in my life is, is Sherry, when and she's and many many times more than anyone else in my life. But one that comes to mind tonight is. Uh, when i When I was diagnosed with, with cancer a couple of years ago, and um, she you, everybody knows how how responsible how much responsibility she carries, and everybody knows how dedicated she is to her work and how important it is to her to do a good job to be on the job and uh, we, we both do we have an understanding about that you know we know we're both going to go different directions i don't think uh, we haven't been anywhere in the same car in uh, several years. <laughs> but that's not, I'm exaggerating. We actually have. But, but not very often because we have both responsibilities in direction. directions. So um, I really didn't expect her to go to doctor's visits with me. And it was, I, wasn't, I wasn't hypersensitive about it or like I'm going to have my feelings hurt. I just thought, you know, something, I'll be going. And she began to go to not all of them. But the ones that were key, she would go and sit and listen to the doctor. And then when I went to the hospital, I thought, well, she'll come over and visit and she'll go back to the blessing barn or, or the school or, or sell real estate, you know, one of the four jobs she has. You know, she'll, she'll stay for 30 minutes and then she will go. And you know what she did? She came to the hospital. She was there the morning of surgery. And she stayed for hours every day. I was, there for, I was there for nearly six over, six, over six days, and she stayed for hours almost every day to sit there. And I was so touched by that. Because I didn't, in a way, I didn't need her to do it. it was nice because she had a lot of conversations with doctors and nurses that I didn't feel like having. And so she had those conversations. It was so helpful to do that. But it wasn't so I would live. It was to show that I mattered. Last Sunday, I had another example last Sunday. George, George is here? Good, because I didn't ask him permission to tell this. So, <laughs> Huh? He's here somewhere. Uh, oh, George, <laughs> I, uh, you're here. I'm glad you're here, George. Last Sunday, it, uh, I was having a conversation. I got into a conversation with Ramon Perdoma, and I it was in a conversation that I'd always wanted to have with him, and we—I've we, known Rabon for about a year now, and I begin to have this conversation. We're really getting the conversation deep, and I look up, and the line to the food was really long. And I know that I got to speak in a few minutes out to the uh, the, the workers in our team meeting, and then I know I've got to catch a plane. I got to go to the airport, and. I need, you know, I'm still. I felt my energy level kind of dropping. And if I don't get something to eat, I'm going to get to the airport, and they don't feed you on planes anymore hardly, you know. And I'm going to get a headache, and I need, I need to, I need to eat some food. But I don't want to leave this conversation. And it's like George, you could tell that. You looked at me, and you could tell that. And George comes over and says, "Can I make you a sandwich?" Now that that doesn't happen around here. I'm not, I'm not complaining or whining, but I'm not. Don't, you know, don't anybody rush and make me a sandwich or let me do something. <laughs> but, <laughs> but it's just not, it's just not kind of, doesn't happen. And George, you just don't know how much that, at first I, I almost said no, because I usually do. I usually, usually say no to those kind of things. But I, I, I stopped for a minute. Wait, I'm having a conversation I really want to be a part of, and I'm going to let him make me a sandwich. And I said yes, and that was a delicious sandwich. And I ate that sandwich, and it gave me the energy I needed. It was a foot washing move. It was what, it was what, it's this kind of little, little stuff that makes people feel loved. I went to visit a friend this week and I'd already decided, he had invited me out and he's in Tucson, Arizona, and he invited me out and I'd already decided, when he invited me, I was having the treatments and as I went, I'm done with these treatments, I just want to take a few days, just four or five days and go. Rest a little bit, and and so I did. I went out to flew out to Tucson, Arizona on Sunday. And the first morning we sat down to breakfast, and he says to me, "You know," and calls his wife by name. We have talked this over. We want to pay for all your. We know you spent money to get here and money in the motel. We want to pay for everything while you're here. We've talked it over, you know. I was like, they they talked it over. and, and the, we would eat breakfast, and then after breakfast we'd go, there's a golf course down the road, we'd go play golf. And the first, first day I did let him pay, but then I, I felt really I couldn't do it. I just couldn't do it the next day. I had to pay for the golf. So I paid, we paid three rounds, and I paid for, for the last two. But, you know, that's, that says, that's when a friend says you matter to me. It's not about the money. I, I wasn't going to go broke. It wasn't about the money. It was about somebody saying, you really, you're really important to me. Why do, why do simple love? I think I'm kind of already answering why we do it. it. It must have a reason for Christ to be so resolute about this. He was absolutely stubborn that the fact that the disciples let him wash their feet. He was absolutely st- stubborn about them letting him wash their feet. This wasn't a, would you like your feet washed deal? This was, if I don't wash your feet, you can't be part of what I'm doing. Think about this for a moment. Think about this for a moment. What was this? First of all, a refusal to participate in interpersonal hospitality among the disciples was a fireable offense. It was a fireable offense. George, I'm glad I I'm glad I, I did that. Jesus might have denied me the right to be a part of his, of his kingdom if I had said, no, you can't make me a sandwich. That's scary, isn't it? You can't be a part of what I'm doing if you don't participate in the showing of hospitality and affection. Secondly, Christ's followers were to form observable and attractive communities of courtesy. I've laid down a pattern for you, he said. The the message Bible words it in verse 15. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. Christ was establishing a culture. He said, this is, what I want the, this is what I want the culture of my followers to look like. I'm not going to leave my church in the hands of a bunch of guys who won't wash each other's feet. I'm not going to leave the church in a bunch of people who don't, who don't show hospitality, who don't show affection, who do not know how to love each other. Jesus relentlessly kept making this point, not just in chapter 13, but all the way to 14, 15, 16, 17. Every chapter, he keeps saying, love one another, love one another, love one another. A new command I give to you, said in chapter 13, verse 34, love one another, a new command. Oh, well, this is a new way of being. This is a new way that... A group of people are supposed to be committed to one another and live together. This is a new command for a new community. I said, this is a new command for a new community. A new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you. So you must love one another. By this, all men will know you are my disciples if you love one another. Two chapters later, he's still talking about it. In John chapter 15, this is my command. Love each other. And then I, I didn't t- include uh, uh, seventeen, but in seventeen he said that he said by all will, all me, all men will know. No, I'm ch- sorry, seventeen. I'm, uh, I already quoted thirteen. Thirteen, is where he said by all this men will know you, my disciples. But in seventeen he said that they may be as one, even as we are one. This was not a United Nations social justice speech, by the way. This was each other. This was the twelve guys who piled around together, ate meals together, worked together, and we're moving toward living in an eternal kingdom together. See, at BCC, we care a lot about social justice. We want to speak for the lost and the least. But the caution, now listen to me tonight, the caution we must remind ourselves is: when we go out to be social justice warriors, we go out to be social justice warriors, that's good. But the caution is that we can destroy ourselves while we heal the world. We can destroy ourselves while we heal the world. This is not a minor talking point. This is a very serious matter. It's something that Jesus was critically concerned about. That those men would be ambitious to build the kingdom. They would be ambitious to preach the gospel to the world. They would be ambitious to create communities of faith all over the world. But they would forget to treat each other with courtesy. Now, I, I don't know if that's, that's touching you tonight. I don't know if that's speaking to you tonight. But that is a profound point. That is a profound point that should impact every one of us in our personal relationships that Jesus wasn't looking for professional organizers. He wasn't looking for professional orators and professional preachers, number one. He, he, he cares about all that. That's when we talk about gifts. In fact, isn't it interesting? My dad used to call 1 Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 the Pentecostal sandwich. I'll just call it a spiritual sandwich. Chapter twelve. What's chapter twelve about? Those of you who are Bible scholars out there, what's chapter twelve about? What gifts? What's chapter fourteen about? Well, it's about. Uh, I, I, I. 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 Let me answer. It's. It's. It's about what you're about to say, but it's also about gifts. So that's just simple. Like a sandwich, you have bread and bread, and something in the middle. What's in the middle? Chapter thirteen. Some, some churches just have bread. Some churches, just have, some marriages just have a bread sandwich. There's no meat. The meat is the tiny, small, insignificant-looking, at times, acts of service. Is the meat of the relationships between people who follow Jesus. And Jesus said, if you don't do this, you have no part with me. I, w- I don't want anything to do with you. I don't care how great you preach. I don't care how talented you are. I don't care if you're the greatest organizer since Henry Ford. I want you to wash each other's feet. It, it, is, that prof- is that deep or something? I don't. Know, deep's the wrong word. That just that blows my mind. That just blows my mind. Only God would think of that. Only God would think of that. I would never have thought of that. I would have just said, just guys, go make it big. Go make it huge. It's kind of like uh, they, they said one time that the, uh, all of the Chick-fil-A, uh, Kathy Truitt's children or whatever ones are involved in the business uh, were in a meeting. And he was in the meeting and he wasn't really participating much as he, he got older but before he passed away. And they were saying, talking about how can we make Chick-fil-A bigger? And they kept talking, how can we make it bigger? And they, they said, finally, he stood up and walked over and pounded on the table and said, let's not make it bigger, let's make it better. And that's what God is saying to us. That's what God is saying to us. Make the quality of your love better. Is there any doubt that this was Paul's concern in 1 Corinthians 13, our home-based passage for this series? If I give all I possess to the poor, surrender my body to the flames, but do not have love, I gain nothing love is patient, love is kind. Paul is contrasting social justice with interpersonal kindness. One of the most awesome yet tragic stories of the 20th century is Bob Pierce and World Vision. World Vision is still out there today doing great work, feeding the hungry, taking care of children, doing great work. But Bob Pierce was a Contradiction. He was one of the most passionate, gifted men to ever live. And when he went to Southeast Asia and he met those little children who were starving, it captured his heart. But while he was writing in the flyleaf of his Bible, break my heart with the things that break God's heart, he was also writing his wife back home saying, who was taking care of their daughter, let's get a divorce. And his personal life was a mess, and he had ended up in all kinds of depression and and personal issues because he had this big vision, but he couldn't come down and wash feet for his family. Washing another disciple's feet is about the humility required to remind people that you do life with and live with of their significance. When I go to Safe House in Atlanta, I see the University of Georgia students literally washing the feet of the homeless. That's because when you're homeless and when you're on your feet all the time, your feet are a mess. These people's feet are a mess. So these homeless men and women come there to Safe House, and they set up in the parking lot. And these medical students come and tend to their feet. And, and it's a beautiful thing. I'm not knocking it at all. It's a beautiful thing to see. These are social, social justice warriors seeking to restore the dignity to thousands who for various reasons no longer or never will or never did lead productive lives. But those same social justice warriors, I wonder how they do with their family, their friends. Jesus knew that as his image bearers, we would want to bring significance to the lost and least. He also knew that as image bearers, who now also have a sin nature, we would compete for dominance with the people we did life with. You know what I'm saying? As image bearers, and I want to move now into what the problem is and why this was so important to Jesus that we learn to humble ourselves and wash each other's feet because Jesus knew that as image bearers, we would want to bring hope to the lost and least. He knew that it would be easier for us to love the world than to love our friends and to love our families. He knew that we would be, he didn't worry about us washing the feet of the homeless. He knew we would, you know, we're driven to do it. And it's a wonderful thing. I'm not knocking it. We need to do it. But he knew that also as image bearers, because we know who we are. We know. Remember that? That was put there on purpose, that Jesus knew he would go back to his father. Well, that's analogous to you. The Bible says, now we are the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be. Because we have been redeemed by Christ's blood, we are now sons of God. We are we, we're supposed to have excellent self-esteem and excellent self-worth. We are image bearers, but we also still have a sin nature, so we will compete for dominance with those that we do life with. I think Jesus knew that as his image bearers, we would figure out how to, if not love outsiders, we would at least figure out how to get along with them, which includes those common social courtesies that I talked about, like opening doors, being on time for appointments, letting them into traffic, saying please and thank you. He knew that we'd learn to get along. But if not reminded, but see, for one thing, with outsiders, we're, we're, we're like salesmen. We're trying to win them. So we behave pretty well with outsiders. We behave pretty well with outsiders because because we're we're trying to make an impression, right? But Jesus said, I, I want you to I want you to I want you to start behaving with courtesy with the people that you live with, the people that you go to community group with, the people that you sit with in church. He knew that if not reminded, we would fail to create a community of courtesy that outsiders would want to join. People know you're a lot more likely to be loved and served in some churches if you stay on the outside or in some social circles. You're going to be a lot less damaged if you keep them pursuing you. Don't let them win you. Don't let them take you home because they won't love you if they get you home. <laughs> It's much more enjoyable to be pursued by some people than to ever be caught by them. But Jesus would have none of that. One, one reason we fail to create communities of courtesy is because loving outsiders is almost always... Listen to this. I think this is important. I think it's important. You can decide. One reason we fail to create communities of courtesy is because loving outsiders is almost always doing for them what they cannot do for themselves. We go, we go feed the hungry, the homeless. We care for the dying and the lost. We, we want to feed those. We're, we're backing Aunt Sandy, who's feeding those thousands of kids in the Philippines because they cannot feed themselves. They will die if we don't feed them. Loving your significant others, though. Now listen to this. Hang in with me. Give me your ears. Loving our significant others is almost always doing for them that which they could generally do for themselves. You see why we don't do it? Uh, Elise knows I can buy my own gasoline. Sherry knew I wouldn't die if if she didn't sit with me at the hospital. Uh, George knew I could make my own sandwich. I wasn't going to die. My my friend knew that that I was going to be able to pay for my own way on this trip. Uh, uh, What about that Jordan Peterson illustration that we gave last week of, of that significant other who just wants you to greet them at the door. And you know that they're not going to die if you don't greet them at the door. What are they, a big baby? And we say things like, well, I'm not going to baby you. You know what? Let me say something about that. I do life with some of the strongest people on this planet. They're great people. Let me tell you something. Every one of them needs to be babied. Sometimes. Every one of them. Every one of them needs to be babied sometimes to feel valued. You ever observe a really happy marriage? You ever observe a happy marriage? There's always a lot of babying going on. In fact, they even, uh, I don't know, Steve, you back there, they even call each other baby. See? Sherry likes her coffee grounds, her coffee beans ground in the morning right before I make the coffee. I would prefer getting it all set up before I go to bed at night. So all I do in the morning is push the button. One, one of the luxuries I had of living in a motel for four or five days was I set the coffee up before I went to sleep. In the morning, I got up, pushed the button, I still closed, and the smell of the coffee woke me up. But Sherry believes that it gets old setting overnight. Huh? Science. It's science? It's, okay. It doesn't matter if it's science or not. That's what she wants. So I don't set it up. But, uh, unless I'm going to get up. Like this morning, I knew I was going to get up at 4 o'clock. So I knew she probably wouldn't be up that early. So I did it my way because I knew we'd have, by the time she, you know, she'd get up at 6 or whatever, it would be time for another pot of coffee. And, and I did not know when I married her that she... Uh, could, you got to understand, I, I, I'm kind of a careless individual, and I used to not bother to lock the doors when I went to sleep at night. Wasn't smart. I lived in Tampa. It wasn't the safest place to live. But I didn't lock the I didn't care. And I didn't think about it. And I found out after we got married, she wanted, it was the man's job to check all the doors at night. Now, she's totally capable of doing that, right? In fact, a, a bad person would be better to meet me in the dark than her. <laughs> That's right. But we all have areas of our life where we want to be babied. And you know what? I believe God created us that way. I believe God created us that way. I believe God created us so that other humans would need... Look at those baby disciples that couldn't wash their own feet. Look at them. They're sitting there. Dirty feet. The whole evening, dirty feet. And Jesus could have gone, what's wrong with you babies? Don't you wash your feet? Wash your own feet, lazy bums. Now, Jesus, I, I'll tell you what, to make this work, you've got to kill your ego. You can't do this with an ego. And we all still have it. I have a huge ego. We all still have an ego. But you've got to kill your ego to wash feet. Here's what I believe was going on in the, Jesus' mind when he looked around the room at the Last Supper. He saw a room full of Rulers. People made in the image of God. People who were in the words of Scripture just a little lower than the angel. People who still had instilled in their psyche the words, Be fruitful and increase in the number. Fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every other living creature that moves on the ground. Cain and Abel, though, was still fresh in Jesus' mind. I am positive that Jesus was thinking, if I don't teach these people to humble themselves before one another with unnecessary acts, of courtesy and show reverence for one another with humble moments of servitude they will kill each other see those social justice warriors who think the inner cities of America are just waiting on the rest of us to come and lead them to the American dream they're naive about the violence and domination that goes on inside of those tribes it is a curious blend of our divine enablement and our horrible sin nature that we realize our God-likeness and simultaneously we isolate and pummel the people. We can do this inside of our social circles because we still have that remnant of being like God and being told that we're to have dominion. And we get put into relationships and we can't help it. If we don't get the message of Jesus' love really deeply into our psyches, we will try to dominate each other. Because that's what people do. Put put a bunch, you know, people put put a bunch of two year olds in a room. You won't have tranquility and peace. The, they will start figuring out the pecking order. Who's going to be in charge? You leave them alone. Am I right, Nana? Am I right? You, you know, In a few days, there will be the alpha male or alpha female, whatever. Somebody's going to be ruling that room. And there will be an assistant ruler and an assistant ruler to that ruler, and there will be the ones who get ruled. You know, the same thing is true in nature. And I forget the woman's name who studied gorillas so much. Somebody said it, I can't hear you though. Jane Jane Goodall. Jane Goodall kept it a secret for a long time. Because you know nature is supposed to be so peaceful. Nature, we know that... We know that nature is so peaceful and calm and, and, the, and the animals are all kind to each other. And she kept it a secret for one, a long time that the apes and the chimpanzees and the baboons would just rip each other to shreds, drink each other's blood. No wonder Jesus said, I want, I want a tribe. I want to try Or serving is popular. In serving. When he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to the place. Do you understand what I've done? You call me teacher, rightly so, for that is why, what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you all also should wash one another's feet. It's very clear what Jesus was saying. Honor and dominance is what you give me, Jesus was saying. It's a good thing because I deserve it. I'm God's son, but I hope you notice, disciples, Jesus was saying that with my well-deserved self-esteem intact, totally intact, I exalted you with a totally unnecessary practical act of humility. In other words, I'm not your slave and don't you ever forget it, but I selected an action that any outside observer would have thought I was your slave Now this is how I expect you to behave to one another. I expect you to go over to somebody who looks like they need a sandwich and say, can I make you a sandwich? I expect you to borrow someone's car and take it back full of gas. I expect you to go set with your spouse who doesn't really need you to be there. I expect you to sit with them because when you do that, you're being like me. You deserve better. But you accept less. So you can be more. Amen? I don't have any idea how long I've been preaching. I think I need to get done, right? I got, I got more notes. I can't stop when there's more notes. <laughs> Let me finish up. Warning significance is not a choice any more than getting hungry or thirsty is a choice. Being in pain over being ignored is not a psychological defect any more than being in pain after having a boulder dropped on your head is, is, is abnormal. God can't create a, create a being in his image a little lower than the angels and, sat, and at the same time instill in him a satisfaction with being unknown and unappreciated. That's why we've really got to work at this. Some of you, especially you you that are single, and you don't go home to anybody, we gotta really work at making sure you are that we let you know you matter. And community, you got your work cut out for you, community. We got our work cut out for us. Look around this room. There are all kinds of people who need their feet washed. Even in this small crowd tonight, there's all kinds of people that need somebody to do something. Think of something, get creative. Get creative and think of something. Trust God. God will bring the people into your path. Trust Him. He'll bring the people into your path. He'll bring them to you in conversation. You'll walk by them out there tonight. You'll get into a conversation and try to figure out, try to discern, look at their feet, study their feet. Whatever feet means, it may mean different things. Jesus wasn't about to leave His church in the hands of men who couldn't practice Social graciousness. Now I want to close with this. There's a groundbreaking research being done right now on loneliness and depression. Researchers have done these amazing double-blind studies that show that loneliness and disconnection with other human beings causes a chemical change in the brain that makes people feel deeply depressed. It's chronicled in the book uh, uh, called Lost Connections by Johan Hari. It's a fascinating book. It's actually endorsed uh, on the front cover. It says, this amazing book will change your life. Elton John. And the researcher found out that being lonely had little to do with being around people or not. You can be around a lot of people and be lonely. But about whether you had meaningful connection with those people. Some of the research was done by John Casapio in the 1970s. But teaching people to meaningfully connect doesn't make the pharmaceutical companies a lot of money. Now, I'm not telling anyone to stop taking medication. Antidepressants can keep you alive while you figure out a a more natural solution. So I'm not telling any. don't anybody leave here tonight. So the pastor said, I just need to make friends, so I'll stop taking my medication. But it's a, when you re, if you get a chance to read the book, you will be amazed at what they've discovered that happens to people's brains when they get in relationships, when they get in good relationships. It's amazing what happens to people. John teamed up with a group of anthropologists, and they studied loneliness all over the world. And they ended up studying this very, highly, uh, uh, this very closed, highly religious farming community. I believe it's in North Dakota. Of uh, 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 this community, uh, people kind of like they're kind of like the Amish, and they're called the Hutterites. And one of the things they discovered was that that, they, that this Hutterites were some of the least lonely people they had ever met. They did everything together. They they farmed. They depended on each other. And one of the things they had discovered about loneliness. Is when people are lonely, they have something during the night while they're sleeping. They have something called micro awakenings. Micro awakenings. In other words, they don't. You don't get completely awake, but you 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 rouse, and you don't even know the next morning. So you don't even know why you wake up tired, because you kept waking. And they believe this is caused by a time year, years ago when people uh, when 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 people were tribal and they lived in the savannas that they would. Um, would, uh, if they were alone, it was dangerous. And there were a lot of wild animals and stuff like that. So you needed, your brain needed to stay vigilant so you, you wouldn't sleep as well. And it would can I save your life not to sleep as well. But they believe that still exists today, that when we feel lonely, we feel vulnerable. And so they, they put these electrodes and all this stuff on these people And they they ran all these tests on these Hutterites, and they found that of all the peoples of the world that they had tested, the Hutterites who lived so in such close community were the had the least micro awakenings of any group of people they had studied. That shows you that loneliness isn't just some inevitable human sadness. It's because of the way we're living. I said it's because of the way we're living. It's a product of the way we live. In just 10 years between 1985 and 1984, involvement in community organizations fell by 45%. And we're more lonely, we're more depressed, More committing more suicides than ever before. All the scientists are saying that we're in a free fall of loneliness. We do things together less than as humans, than any other time before us. We disbanded our tribes. We've embarked on an experiment to see if humans can live alone. And it's not working because God didn't wire us that way. Jesus knew this, so he taught the disciples, don't let your friends always wash their own feet. Not because they can't, but because they might feel lonely. One last thing. Stop looking for perfect people to love. They don't exist. Unless there's abuse or something intolerable, love the people that are already in your life. Let's stand. We have communion. We don't have prayer partners tonight. We do have communion. And I want us to enter in a time of, of, of prayer and I want us to pray. I want you to pray about two things. I want you to ask God, what are the... What are the... For the people... For, for, the, for someone who's in my life right now, what would it look like if I washed their feet? I don't think you should literally wash their feet. They probably wouldn't even appreciate that. They probably wouldn't even be what would administer them. What would it look like if I washed their feet? I want you to think of somebody that you will commit to do an act of courtesy for them this week. Will you do that? How many of you do that? This, you, you'll commit. I'm going to go do an act of courtesy for someone in my life. It might be a family member, close friend, but somebody you're in relationship with, not a stranger, not the neighbor across the street that you barely know, the people that are in your life. The second thing I want you to pray about tonight, I want you to pray that God will show you a lonely person that you can begin to make their life less lonely. Now, you got to be careful. Uh, uh, human relationships are the scariest thing in the world. you got to be careful. There's all kinds of cautions that need to be had. you got to use wisdom about this. And there will be people who are, there's people who are alone because they have, they have destroyed so many people that, yeah, they're alone because they've, they refuse to be civil. And, and you, you need to be wise enough not to go try and change that kind of person. With this experiment, that's a different program. <laughs> that's a different program for the people that have d- destructive tendencies, and may, you know maybe they're heavy on drugs or whatever. They need help, but that's not what this message is for. This message is for the people who have enough character and enough quality about them that they could maintain a friendship. That they could maintain a friendship if they just had somebody who cared about them. So remember those two things. You're going to find somebody that you, you're going to go to someone you're already in relationship with and you're going to serve them in some small way, some just a little small way, just to let them know. I, I want you to know you matter to me. You don't, you don't need to say the words. Do the deed. Let, let the deed speak for itself. And then you're going to pray that God will show you lonely people who need Jesus in skin. You heard about the little girl who, who was scared at night. And her dad kept going in there and saying, Honey, Jesus is with you. Don't be afraid. She said, I need Jesus with skin. So there are people in your world who need Jesus with skin. I've been there. I've been lonely before. So I know what it means when somebody invades your space with kindness, takes you to lunch, takes you to coffee. It can be something simple like that. Father, in Jesus' name, as we enter into response times, may we hear from the Heavenly Father about this. May we go to the feet of Jesus and hear what He would say. May we let Jesus wash our feet spiritually tonight. May we let Him refresh us and minister to us. And Jesus, you're not here to condemn us, but you're here to love us. Would you come and pray? There's communion. Three different place, four different places. One in the back. Let's let's everybody take communion tonight, and let's enter into a time of prayer to God. Come on.